and welcome to the Cannabis Corner. I am your host, Joshua Braff, and I'm here with my partner, Farmer Adam Teitelbaum. Today we have Garen Angel. Garen is the CEO of MagicalButter.com, a company that's revolutionized botanical extractions, which is a very big deal in this climate. Garen is also the president of ThinkMB, a global think tank that combines traditional Chinese medicine, cannabis, and modern-day science. And he was once, uh, prior to this, uh, the president of Sea Angel and Associates, Inc., a leading advanced estate planning and tax specialty firm where he was very good at the game. Uh, in 2008, he was named one of America's top financial planners by Reuters Advice Point. So, Garen, it sounds as if you've applied a very good brain to the tasks of altruism in the name of healthy medicine. You're an inventor, a scientist, a businessman, and you, you appear kind from our research. You seem like a really kind man. In this sense, not kind buds, but a really kind person. You spoke of your family as priority number one. And uh, you've also had an experience like I did, which was to explore the world of cannabis back in 08 and learn that there were some very sick people with Crohn's disease, especially in my first years, who were finding relief from marijuana. Tell us a little bit about you and um, and how you came to be the CEO of Magical Butter and how cannabis has become a, this major part of your life. Yeah, first, thanks, Josh and Adam, for having me on the show. Really excited to uh, be on it. Doing a great job, and, and this thing continues to grow. So thanks for having me on. I got involved in the cannabis industry. I had a friend who was suffering from Crohn's disease, had been smoking to control his outbreaks, and that was no longer a solution due to his asthma. Wanted to try edibles, failed a few times. Uh, I'd owned a computer company in my past. I grew up, my dad owned one of the first Apple franchises. So I grew up in a, in a very techie environment. And I went home, sat by the fire by myself, started sketching some plans, went to a machine shop, had, had some things made. My first approach to this was a double boiler for the grill. So you can move the process outside, not stink up the home. And if you have children and things, a lot of the times keeping that scent down and away makes a lot of sense, even if you're using this for medicine. The very first design I had, it worked. And I'll tell you kind of a fun story. I took two loaf pans, and I set one inside the other, a smaller one inside the other, and it worked. So then I had some friends over, and I said, look, I want to show you this. This is something I'm working on. And the first time I did it, I had done it with one stick of butter. and let's call it 10 grams. And that weight made that second loaf pan still buoyant. Then I have all my buddies at the house and I add an ounce of cannabis. Well, with two butter sticks and an ounce of cannabis, that loaf pan was no longer buoyant and it sunk into it. And I, I wasted an ounce right there and all of my friends started laughing at me. Of course. And that started my, uh, of course, right? And, <laughs> hey, geniuses failed the first time. It's, it's, it's a very, very real fact. Right. So I knew I didn't have it, but I knew I was on to something. And then I went and I built the machine, now known as the Magical Butter Machine, and uh, got that engineered to work well. took us a, a couple of years to get all of the prototyping done, get it to market, and it's just been a smashing success around the world. Magical Butter is now sold in the United States, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, EU, UK, Puerto Rico, soon to be Jamaica, and South Africa. So we're one of the, the most widely distributed cannabis-centric products that exist in the world today. 
You must have had a strong inkling that it was both going to be very good for some sick people you knew and would be profitable. I've been a thought leader in anything I've ever done. I've been very successful in multiple industries. I knew coming into this space, I would have no challenges getting my message across because the way that I tell my narrative. It's, I live a life where I really I smile at people. I love people. I hug them when I see them. This industry needs that, and that was that stigma change that you're referring to. Right. It's a very loving community, and that's what's perpetuated it to legalization at this point almost around the world and the fact that this industry perpetuates love and happiness and healing. And it, sometimes it's all three, sometimes it's one of those. Do you feel your machine is the kind of product that might help the U.S. with alternatives to chemicals, opiates? You sound as if you've invented something that could seriously change how people approach healthcare. Absolutely, and this has already happened. We have physicians who have converted their entire clinic to magical butter clinics, which when I was starting this, I never would have thought that we would have gotten that far. What, what do you mean by that, Karen? What, what is a magical butter What's a clinic? magical butter clinic? I love that. Thank you for asking that question. A magical <laughs> butter clinic is a physician's office that essentially their individual modality to all of their patients is buy a magical butter machine, get herbs into your life. And some some places that's cannabis-centric, other places that's just beneficial herbs in general. And it's a botanical extractor. A lot of botanicals are lipid-soluble. So combining lipids with um, an immersion blender and heat aids the extraction. And now you have your base oils for staple recipes, and you can start to infuse your life and get the right molecules and nutrients into your stomach. In the clinics, are people bringing their herbs with them there? Or I, I, I guess I'm having trouble so visualizing yeah, how yeah, it actually let's, works. Let's, let's go through what this, what this looks like. So you pull up to a clinic, and the outside of one of them in particular, is they completely and totally branded their clinic Magical Butter. So the outside of their clinic looks like you're walking into a magical butter store. And then you walk in, you meet with your physician. They do a regular intake with you and try to work with a nutritional plan for you to balance your, your diet. And a lot of these places have seen their patients reduce dependency on pills from 10, 12, 17 to 2, 5, or 3 or none. And when you look at People's ability. I, I'm going to deviate from this for one second. Sure. I, I really am very invested in public health. And the challenge that there is is there's no longer patient responsibility. Back in the day when somebody got sick, there was a patient responsibility. Grandma stepped in and started with home concoctions to try to get you better. Chicken soup. And there was a, a process that, that you went through. Exactly, chicken mm -hmm. soup. Well, we're more scientifically advanced now, and we understand that Certain plants have different molecules that cause cellular response, endogenous compound production. And by doing that, by just putting the right nutrients into our body at the right time, a lot of times we can have patient responsibility instead of going to a doctor who doesn't really understand what's going on inside of you and, and writing a script. And a lot of our medicine is either body part medicine, meaning like if you hurt your leg, we're trying to or if your leg hurts, we're trying to treat your leg and not, not thinking that may, maybe that's stemming from your back or a, another inflammation point. 
And with botanicals, it's a lot more whole body wellness Mm -hmm. and reducing inflammation and better blood flow and just an overall better mental mindset to deal with the challenges and opportunities of life. Where do you have these clinics? Where are, they, where are the existing ones located? There's some in Michigan. Um, I think there's some out in California now. And they're not our mm. clinics. I want to be very... These are physicians who experience tremendous anecdotal responses time after time to the point where they said, this is the direction I want to take my practice. Have any of these physicians published any information? You know, share are they do you find are they sharing this with others? Because it seems like that's an area where there's a vacuum, you know, not enough education of health professionals. Agree. And yes, doctors speak out about magical butter all the time. Physicians are constantly recommending it to their patients. Some physicians even sell it in their offices, in their doctor's offices directly to their patients. So the patient can leave with the tools and the accessories to go home and start to become empowered. Um, yes, that's that's the exact direction it is. When did they first hit the market, your magical butter machines? We opened November 5th, 2012. So we opened the day before the election that legalized adult-use cannabis in Colorado and Washington State. Timing was huh. excellent, and I thought our first shipment was going to last us a year and we sold out in 60 days. So that wow, how, how exponential our growth has been. And one of the things you had mentioned earlier was education. We do nonstop video production. We are, while we're magical butter, we're also a full video production company and we turn out about 26 videos a week. And our view for the year, I think we've had 45 million video views so far this year, educating consumers how they can learn how to eat the treat. Go like us on Facebook, magicalbutter.com. Check us out. Uh, we'll, we'll promo code FBLIKE, it'll save you 30 bucks. Yeah, you know, I uh, I checked out the video on on YouTube, and uh, I, I've been making I've been making can of butter for a few decades now. And um, toyed with many, many different methods. And uh, watching your video made me really curious to get my hands on one and uh, give it a shot compared to the you know method that I've been using probably now for the last six or seven years. Uh, so I'm, you've got an interested party in me, and I've been making these kind of products for a long time. We also have a decard box. So I'll send you out a magical butter machine. Some shirts. We do gummy molds. So after you're done with it, you can mold and mark your your uh, edibles so people know that it's an infused product. And then we have a decarb box. So everybody's familiar with decarboxylation if they're cooking with cannabis. Decarboxylation is the process of removing the carbolic chain from the molecule. THCA would be the form of the molecule that most people buy in flour from a dispensary or from you know, their underground source. It has no psychotropic effect. So in order to activate the molecule across the blood-brain barrier, you need to remove the carbolic acid doing a process called decarboxylation. So what we've done is we created, just like with the magical butter machine, a very simple way for you to have a decarboxylation with a controlled laboratory-type process. It's a silicon box that's uh, platinum-grade silicone, top that you can get your hands on. 
it's got a thermometer hole in the top. You put your thermometer in there. And that way you're decarbing at the temperature of the flour instead of at the temperature of the oven. And that's one of the, the tricks to this process to make sure that you're not converting from uh, THC to CBN or THCA to CBN. You, you really want to go from CBG or CBGA, really, CBGA to THCA to THC or CBGA to CBDA to CBD. And we provide you with the tools that make it easy for you to do that at home and have a laboratory-type experience. We have some I, I, really I cool. think that's fantastic. That's Garen Angel of MagicalButter.com. And also check him out on Facebook, where you can find all kinds of savings. Don't forget the promo code FBLIKE, and you can have $30 off Magical Butter products. More with our interview with Garen Angel in a future episode of The Cannabis Corner. Harborside Dispensary, founded in 2006 by Steve D'Angelo, it's the most respected and largest medical cannabis dispensary in the United States. Harborside has over 200,000 registered patients and was first in the nation to support education for seniors, veterans, and families with severely ill children, first in the country to offer CBD-rich medicine, and the first to treat children with Dravet syndrome. Harborside continues to set an example of diversity and compliance and is one of the prime advocates of diversity, sustainability, and economic justice in the industry. Harborside, a nonprofit medical marijuana dispensary with locations in Oakland and San Jose, California. And now more of our interview with Joe Devlin, Sacramento's Chief of Cannabis Policy and Enforcement. Farmer Adam has a series of questions about regulations concerning growing as they apply to the citizens of Sacramento. Well, speaking of the people of Sacramento, are you or is your city requiring, uh, having certain requirements as far as what type of lights can or can't be used or the use of CO2 burners, um, issues like that on the growing end, both, and do they differ uh, between a personal, personal grow versus uh, commercial grow? No, when it comes to the lighting, I mean, those are really business decisions. You know, I don't think we really have any interest in what type of light you use. I think we're hoping that folks are going to try and be energy efficient, but there's also a market incentive for them to be energy efficient as well, certainly for indoor cultivation. And the same for the people that want to grow at home. We're not going to prescribe any any sort of particular light as it relates to kind of the, the CO2. I'm just kind of starting to get into that. And I think that there's at least a conversation we had around kind of our in, indoor air quality requirements. So I'm not exactly sure how that all that is going to shake out, but I don't think we need necessarily need to be prescriptive of, 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 of about that. This industry is going to change so quickly. I think the best regulations for this industry are really a pragmatic framework with probably more guidelines and recommendations, knowing that everything around us is going to evolve very, very quickly over the next you know, two, three years. So does Sacramento allow outdoor cultivation? We don't. As a city, we don't have a lot of agricultural land left. <laughs> We've built homes on most of it. Like much you of know. America. <laughs> right. You know, someday we'll probably be ripping up some of those homes to get some of the ag land back. Um, Hopefully. 
But, um, you know, for the council has decided as it relates to like the residential grows that, that it was just too much of, of an invitational nuisance. Uh, one person, you know, growing a handful of plants outside can really generate a lot of calls and complaints. And so I don't think the council wanted to do with it. Um, so all of our cultivation has to be indoors. Understandable. The notion behind regulation with this tsunami coming to our zeitgeist, as it were, leaves one wondering, how do you license businesses? You're going to go from 30 dispensaries to 200 licensed businesses in your area. Is there part of a feeling that this may temper alcohol disease or use or... Right now, currently, the opioid issue in, say, Ohio is hard to believe how many people are passing away from touching and inhaling um, some of the, the new drugs that are this particular one coming from China through some kind of terrible cartel. Are the people in Sacramento saying perhaps this will temper our problem with those diseases and ER visits? Or is the impetus a lot about taxes? Well, I think that this has been an evolution, it's been an evolution of, of thinking. I mean, if you look at the folks that passed Prop 64, that voted for Prop 64, it wasn't just younger voters. Um, if you, you know, do a survey of, 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 of registered voters, over half of registered voters will tell a complete stranger, a pollster over the phone that they've smoked marijuana or cannabis. You know, the, the older voter now, which is a, a much likely voter, is now uh, is that baby boomer generation. So I think it is part of an evolution. I think where Sacramento came is at currently is that this is here that, you know, these stories of, you know, reefer madness and smoking pot will destroy your life forever. You know, we're really just part of a, a misinformed campaign on cannabis. I, I don't think that they are acutely aware of the potential upsides of its medical benefits. So I think that's kind of the next evolution. I think right now, the, generally, the people of Sacramento feel that this is here. It's been passed by the voters, and many of them voted for it. You know, let's create a legal framework for it. Let's, you know, assess some taxes on it. Um, and then I think in time, and I don't think it's going to be that long, I think we'll see, you know, some of the other benefits that have been experienced in some of these other states where, you know, opioid overdoses um, are, are down. Um, certainly as new medical um, applications for cannabis come out, I think that is going to be, that's going to be the next evolution of, I, I would think, general things. But I think where Sacramento is right now is, you know, it's here, it's legal, you know, let's create a framework for it. It'll be interesting to see in time whether those, the opioid issue and the alcohol issue go down or, or perhaps rise. Sometimes I'm seeing on the, the national media circuit um, some talk about THC putting people in jeopardy of driving in a way that it hadn't before recreational legality. And I guess that's a nebulous topic because was there alcohol involved? Uh, did you take your sleeping pill at the wrong time when you then had some marijuana and were pulled over. So as we're in this uh, early stage of, of the new reel, um, all these things come into play. Um, I have one other question. What, in your opinion, is the biggest need in cannabis research? The the application of, you know, CBDs as a painkiller present a very exciting scientific front. I think the other, I think, great benefit that is at least potentially there is around the use of cannabis and treating um, PTSD. 
And so if you've been around some folks that have had a history of, of, of being in combat, you know, PTSD can have long and lasting effects. And, you know, we've just got done fighting a 15-year war. Um, Vietnam wasn't too far behind that. I mean, so we have significant populations of our country that have experienced some form of combat. And the effects of PTSD are very real. And, you know, if cannabis can be a potential aid in alleviating that, um, that's a pretty exciting thing to me. Very true. The, the Vietnam veteran came home to famously be looked at as some kind of criminal by the population. And all the while, it would take decades to be understood and then to be able to get a medication that would relieve some of those feelings. So, um, it's a young country that's catching up to this notion of putting cannabis in the doghouse with, say, just roughly heroin and cocaine, who don't have podcasts who are talking about the positive results health-wise. Um, if Sacramento uh, becomes what you guys see it becoming in time, is it Amsterdam? Are there, co- are there coffee houses that nobody worries about and, and the, you can see the alcohol level going down and then, the, you know, you're talking 200 um, licensed businesses in your area? Well, you know, the 200 was kind of an, an, an estimate. You know, we don't have a cap on the number of cultivation sites. We don't have a cap on the number of manufacturers. We currently aren't permitted any more dispensaries, although we're going to have a conversation, you know, I think coming up here pretty quickly around adult use retail and, and how are we going to address that because there's probably going to be a need to add some more as well as the subsequent conversation around on-site consumption. I believe Sacramento will get to a place where we do have some on-site consumption. Mm-hmm. Are you talking uh, at dispensaries or more like a, you know, Amsterdam coffee shop? Yeah, where the bar was. Yeah, I'm thinking more like a cafe, mm-hmm. you know, which will be, it will have to be a dispensary because they'll have cannabis on-site, they'll have to sell it. So it'll be a dispensary. It'll just be a dispensary that also serves, you know, maybe food and coffee. Um, Could you and, please come speak with us? authorities here in Colorado. I mean, that is something that is lacking here so much, and that's why people light up in their cars, and especially tourists who come here, and they're so excited, right. and it's going to happen It's going to happen in California as you guys go wreck. Hey, I'm all excited. Wait, I, I can't use it at my hotel. I can't use it in my car. I can't use it at, in public at a park. So, I mean, you, you have to provide something, and Colorado has had a big struggle uh, getting there. Denver may be the first but they're putting crazy limitations on it instead of right. making it easier so people don't break the law. Right, and that will be a challenge. I mean, certainly I think Colorado had, you know, cannabis tourism, if you will, um, to the degree that they had because they were first out the gate. You know, Colorado does also have a you know a good number of, of folks that are coming in out of state that are staying in hotels that would participate in that. I think each city in California is going to be a little bit different. I don't think California is going to, or Sacramento is going to be a, a big um, cannabis tourism destination. So I think our on-site consumption is going to be really designed around the needs of, by and large, the people that, that live here. Now, contrast that with San Francisco, who's population pretty much doubles every day with with tourists, their side of cannabis is going to look very different than Sacramento's, where Sacramento's going to have, you know, probably significant amounts of cultivation indoor and manufacturing and maybe some distribution. San Francisco's land values are too high 
um, the number of, of tourists are so great that their cannabis industry is going to be really shaped around um, the point of sale, right? So retailers and on-site consumption. I mean, San Francisco, they're going to have to have a very serious conversation around dedicating outdoor public space where it can be consumed because tourists that go to San Francisco are going to take advantage of cannabis being legal in that city because it's not from where not where they are or it's not legal where they're from. Um, so San Francisco is going to have to have a very serious conversation around really being, really opening up their on-site consumption, their cafes, and creating public spaces. Um, I, I don't know the... If, if the public space conversation is, is going to really come to the forefront in Sacramento, um, again, I think it's really going to be shaped for the needs of the people in Sacramento. I think it's going to be more like a bar, restaurant, um, cafe-type experience. Each city is going to be different, and I think Colorado is, is you know experiencing some of that. They're growing pains, and that's a perfect example of us being able to learn from the experiences of other states. So thanks for doing it first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's been a fun adventure. I'm a risk taker, so I've loved it. I've been I've been in the right place, and I don't know if you know, but I'm a I'm a grower, um, and so I, I I see a lot of things through through that lens. And when I hear about the burgeoning from 30 to 200, and I think about the strain, I, I always go to power supply and efficiency and non-efficiency. I would hope that the growers and cultivators in your area would be looking at more high-efficiency lighting that costs a little bit more, not even necessarily. Some cost a little more up front, but that the, the uh, wattage is so much less. Like You don't have yeah. to use a 1,000-watt lights to grow great um, cannabis and to yield uh, great cannabis. And uh, I'm hoping that people come into 2017 and really look at where technology's at. I was just down in Oakland for uh, for something, and, and everybody was marketing a 1,000-watt light bulb. That thing put out a ton of heat. It's crazy. We're in Fort, the city of Fort Collins, as far as home grows go. Those are banned. And so you can get a ticket if, you know, it would have to be that the police are coming into your grow for some reason. I haven't heard of it happening, but they are. They provide, a, they're they're really hot and it's more dangerous because it's higher wattage. Um, so I don't blame our city for doing it. I know there are people who are really upset about it, whereas businesses can do what they want. But also businesses really want to watch their bottom line and you want to lower your operating costs and maximize profit, etc. Um, so I, uh, hopefully people will be be smart like that, and I still can't believe that I'm seeing 1,000-watt light fixtures uh, being sold and pushed like they are at all the different cannabis expos all around the world. There's uh, such a better way to do it, at least as far as indoors. But anyway, sorry, I get consumed with that because I'm a grower. Well, that makes sense. Hey, Joe, um, is the, it seems like you'll, you're hiring in this, in this new world, in this new business world. Are you looking for certain particular types of people? Uh, as people listen to this and say, wow, there's a, what, this industry of cannabis is, is for real. Do I have a role in it? What are your thoughts there? You know, I've got one vacancy right now, and it's, it's essentially a customer service you know, representative, if you will. Um, you know, the bulk of our workload is going to be done across a multitude of departments. Cannabis ultimately isn't isn't unlike anything else. I think that's what we're going to find at the end of the day. Is boy, this turned out to be you know 
a lot like craft beer or a lot like wine or a lot like anything else. You know, we're going to set up some rules that keep, you know, people safe in terms of like building standards and, you know, electrical requirements and fire department's going to look at them and be okay with it. You know, and so will like our, you know, our code folks, you know, so I don't think that there's necessarily a, a particular, you know, cannabis skill set that one needs on the, on the municipal level, you know, folks are, thinking about, you know, creating positions like this that are, you know, in, in similar governments, I would absolutely encourage it. Um, I, I couldn't imagine not having this office, especially at a time when we're trying to roll something like this out. It's 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 a it's a lot of work and there are sensitivities and, and um that need to be considered when it comes in, when it comes to, to, to rolling out an industry that has been, um, you know, prohibited for the last hundred years. Um, you know, people have questions. There's a lot of fear that's, um, I think, still surrounding the cannabis industry. I think the field will, will subside when it comes to rolling out an industry and, it, and it's kind of public interface. You know, there's still plenty of people in Sacramento that are like, what are you doing? I don't want that thing near me. And so there's an education component to it. So, you know, if you don't have somebody who's kind of dedicated to this, I think your chances of, you know, succeeding at a, you know, at a successful rollout are diminished. Yeah. It's such a, it's an interesting time where this debate is happening and, and, and so much discussion. And then you have a divided country politically. So in a caricature, we, we're divided. You, our, our attorney general is positive that the opioid problem is, is from whatever it was those Vietnam vets were smoking when they came back from hell. So what a good hire you are as a person to understand the sensitivities and to give language to it and to also be able to absorb some of your peers or people you know who are highly against it uh, all the while drinking. Right, right, right. Or taking Vicodin. Yeah. It's always the people drinking who are most adamant against weed. It's as if the alcohol gives their monologue power. We so appreciate you and your time. And here's what I'll ask you as we evolve here. Please uh, join us again. Adam and I are going to continue in this venture as, as this all evolves. And um, we are uh, non-drinker, non-pill-popper dads who found that our vice actually was very beneficial for us in multiple ways. And a certain harmony was found, better listeners and uh, all those skills that come with parenting. So it is a topic that has facets that reach almost every topic. And so you, it's highly interesting, and we, we so appreciate your coming today. Happy to be on. You know, would love to continue the conversation. It really is an exciting time for, I think, anybody that has remotely followed the, the cannabis discussions over the last 20 years. And, you know, would love to come back on. My goal here in Sacramento is to really kind of, you know, get this right. And so when other cities come online and say, okay, we're ready to do this now, that they come here and basically just, you know, steal everything that I've done. So thanks for having me on. Yeah, hey, kudos to you, Joe. I'm 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 a big fan of of what you're yeah. doing. I love that there are people like you involved in this industry, no matter what end is on, and helping to make it run smooth and safe for everybody. So, thanks for coming on. I really learned a lot from you today. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time on the Cannabis Corner. <laughs>